Welcome to the Arrow Buddhist Tradition podcast series. The following podcast is an interview with Nakchon Rinpoche and Troma Rigsal in Alameda, California in March 2010. Interview questions cover various topics from the book Rays of the Sun. For more information about the Arrow Buddhist Tradition, please go to the website at arrowbuddhism.org. Your generous donations make these podcasts possible. If you wish to make a donation, please go to the section of the website labeled How to Help and select Make a Donation. Jay, in the Rays of the Sun book, you talk about morality, ethics, and discipline in Buddhism being self-existent. Mm-hmm. And I think this is so interesting about Buddhism. And could you talk about how is it that it's self-existent? Or how do we discover that self-existent morality in ourselves as practitioners? Well, morality as an externally imposed form is an approximation of self-existent morality. Mm. Uh, So the less contact you have with self-existent morality, the more you have to adhere to an externally imposed form. The problem with with the externally imposed form is that you take it as truth rather than as method. Mm. You take it as result rather than path. Um, In terms of Dzogchen, there is no morality or ethics because they are not required. I think people often misunderstand that, that Mm. to say it's beyond ethics, it's beyond morality, to mean you can act as you wish Mm. in an immoral, unethical manner, but in many ways, you'd look at a, at a real Dzogchen practitioner and say, this is a highly ethical, moral person, although they wouldn't be imposing anything. It would simply be natural. Mm. I mean, my, um, you see, I have no inclination to humiliate you on camera, hello. No, I'm humiliating her. See, see her being humiliated. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I have no desire to do that. Because you're so moral. <laughs> so there's no effort involved. I'm not having to say now. Remember, remember. You know, you mustn't um, do this. You mustn't do that. It's just that there's no inclination there. Mm. There's not even a velleity. So it's self-existent in that sense that um, there's no advantage in it. Mm. It's only when there's an advantage in treating someone badly or acting immorally, unethically. The whole idea of immoral is linked with moral then or ethical with unethical. And then I I think it's important to ask uh, what's the advantage in being unethical? Then you look at what the advantages are and you see that the advantages are all spurious. That you wouldn't really want to be advantaged in that way. Mm. So 
you know, in order to steal from you, I have to believe that um, uh, my having more money is preferable in some way. Mm. And it's all right that you have less because mm. I'm more important than you are and your suffering means nothing. Mm. That I've deprived you of this is all right. And th that's a, a really complex philosophy. Mm. And uh, not only is it complex, but it's something that gives rise to paranoia because if I can abuse you because you are weaker, then what if someone more powerful than me comes along and wants to abuse me? Do I then have to accept, oh, that's all right, that she stole my money because she's stronger than I am, and therefore it's all right? No, I wouldn't think that. So it's, un it's an unworkable idea. It creates paranoia and it creates a world in which I wouldn't really want to live. So I have to shield myself from the logical inconsistency of that point of view, mm. which is also highly complex. Mm. I have to pretend it's not happening. I have to pretend that I'm always the strongest. I can always steal. I can steal from everyone. Um, and the whole thing is actually untenable. Mm. So when you understand that it's untenable, and that's not any process of understanding that has anything to do with gaining a, a, a body of factual information, it's simply not seeing yourself in that way or not understanding existence in that way. So if you don't understand existence as a situation in which I can gain advantage to your disadvantage, then ethics are unnecessary. It just doesn't even come into play at all. Hmm. So would, would a correct understanding be that unethicalness, unethical behavior, or unethical intentions depend on lack of understanding. Yes. And yeah. so when that's not there, then what remains is just an intrinsic ethics. Mm. I think people get afraid when they hear that, that without some kind of externally imposed morality, that that means everyone's sort of it's self-interested or... Mm. You see, to me, yeah. see, I, I've got this apple juice here mm. now. There are all kinds of things that uh, I have no inclination to do with this apple juice. <laughs> there are many possibilities. I can pick it up, I can throw it at you. Yeah. I can throw it at myself. I can throw it at the camera. I can beat the glass on my head till it smashes. <laughs> I can, there are infinite things I could do with this glass of apple juice. I'm not inclined to do any of them. Mm. Uh, I might be inclined to have a drink out of it because mm. I'm getting a bit dry. <laughs> But um, now I don't have to resist the urge to throw it at you, or at myself, or at church roll, or at the camera. Um, I have no desire to tip it into the guitar either. So ethics is more or less like that. It, it is there, 
if I think all these possibilities are valid. And to think they're valid, I have to be deranged, dualistically deranged to a certain mm -hmm. extent, to see advantages in that. But if I see no advantage in any of it, I, 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 I have no desire, no velleity, no nothing. So maybe that is a fear, that fear of, of being without externally imposed morality is actually a fear that we're dualistically deranged by nature. Maybe that's where it comes from, or it's just... Uh, well, I, I would never say that people need do without ethics or morality. Mm. It's... Um, It's simply a question of recognizing that the non-dual state doesn't require them. Mm -hmm. What they're required for, I mean, you know, if anyone uh, doesn't dwell in the non-dual state, they need ethics. Eth start again. They need ethics and morality, mm -hmm. uh, but they're only necessary as long as they're necessary. They're not truths. They're methods. So, you know, if I have um, unethical impulses, then I need ethics. Depending on how strong those unethical impulses are. But where I do not have unethical impulses, ethics become meaningless. Like, if I have a need to smash my head through the window, I need a rule that says, thou shalt not <laughs> smash thy head through the window. <laughs> I think, ah, there's the rule I have taken not to smash my head through the window. But if I have no desire to do it, I don't need the rule. Ramache, when you were talking earlier about kindness, I know you also mentioned in Rays of the Sun that kindness is our connection to the non-dual state. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that? If that's all, that's really an inspiring definition of kindness or way of explaining why it's so important for us to practice kindness. Mm. How is it that kindness connects us with the non-dual state? Um, because it's pleasurable. Mm. Kindness has to be pleasurable. If kindness is not pleasurable, then um, it's problematic. Finding kindness pleasurable um, means that it's a self-existent state. It's not dependent. That, s that someone else's pleasure is giving me pleasure or alleviating someone's suffering is, is causes me pleasure uh, defines a situation in which I am acting um, within a context rather than acting in order to benefit myself in some way. So it's contextually based, rather than personally based. Mm. Um, 
and it connects us with the non-dual state from that very position that we're more free in that sense. Because the greatest imprisonment is me and having everything relate to me. Mm. But when it's related to Churdrol, related to anyone else, mm. I'm suddenly free of this prison of me. Mm. And that my actions, my intentions can m move in any direction according to circumstances. So I move out of the smaller space of my limited concerns to uh, an ever-expanding situation. Mm. There's so much more freedom involved with that. In, in the practicality of being kind and how that arises in different situations, you brought up in Rays of the Sun the example of the aunt at the wedding, or the aunt at the oh, wedding. <laughs> the aunt, yes. Who <laughs> approaches us and says, uh, does my hat look okay? It's not too big. What do you think? And, and maybe we are in that moment of wanting to be kind and also not wanting to be deceptive. And so you talked about that circumstance in, in several different ways when you're describing kindness. And I kept waiting for there to be some way that you responded to the aunt at the end, the aunt at the end of the uh, chapter, but there wasn't. And so how would we work in that with that kind of moment where we're being asked something like that? Would it be just to relate with what we do appreciate mm -hmm. about Maybe something was left out, I don't know. Um, as far as I remember, mm -hmm. um, of course this book is 20 years old, it's yeah. been edited, and I, I don't remember everything in it, but um, basically you're telling the aged aunt what she wants to hear. Mm. Um, she is looking for confirmation that she's done the right thing, that she does not look, look ludicrous. Now, if I happen to think she looks ludicrous in the hat, A, that's only my s subjective opinion mm. that the hat, however ludicrous, with bunches of cherries and however <laughs> tall the thing is, you know, you know these hats, are, I'm thinking of Carmen Miranda or something like this, you know, you know I, I, I like you very much, you know, this sort of, I, I, you know, I might think that's ludicrous. But that is only my subjective opinion anyway. And my aunt or aunt is not <laughs> looking for my subjective opinion in particular. Uh, the situation is one in which she wants reassurance. Mm. What do you think of my hat? She only wants one answer. It's great. It's nice. It looks very nice on you. Mm. Uh, even if it was objectively ludicrous, how could she change her hat at the wedding anyway? Mm. What does she do? Go to the nearest town, buy another one? She can't do that. So it's impractical to say uh, it, it, it's ludicrous. Mm. She's looking for support and acknowledgement that it's a nice hat, and so you, so you give that. She's not asking for your honest opinion. Mm. Very few people do ever do that. So, you know, why give it? Mm. 
unless, you know, you know, this is my best friend in all the world. And he or she is asking me a question. And I give a reply based on that relationship. But the answer you give has to be based on your relationship. So if your relationship is one in which you give each other direct feedback, unwithheld direct feedback, then you could give that and say, that's the stupidest hat I ever saw. <laughs> if that is the nature of your relationship. But you have to bear that in mind. What, what the nature of your relationship is, what is really being asked, and what is appropriate. And bearing in mind that all such things are subjective anyway. It's interesting in watching yourself and contradiction over the years, how extraordinarily kind you are in so many situations. It makes me think that maybe kindness is the most advanced practice there is. <laughs> because I've seen well, you both be just spontaneously kind, even in situations that with people that were odd or weird or rude or whatever, and it didn't well, seem to be... That's because it gives us pleasure, and we're hedonists. <laughs> 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 and I remember one time you said, I thought you said that it's more, it's more wrathful to be kind, even, than it would be to, to not be. You talked about some example when you were young at school where I don't quite remember what it was, but there's some story where instead of, I wish I remembered the story, but uh, I, that really stuck with me, this idea that people think that maybe if you're more aggressive with others, that that would have more of an effect on them towards motivating them in some way, but it seems like what you were saying in that example was that no, actually kindness it motivates people more to do their best and really bring out their better qualities. And well, is that true? Do you think that that's the case? Is it more effective to be kind with people as far as motivating them in practice and in the path? And as a teacher, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even not as a teacher, but even in any relationships. It seems like people believe it'd be useful to not be kind to others, that they, you know, they need that kind of harshness, even though it usually mm. doesn't help. Um, Buddhism is not a pacifist religion. Mm. Um, my uncle... Uh, my German uncle, my mother's brother, was part of the Brandenburg Company, who were eventually sent to the Russian front and exterminated um, for their plot to assassinate Hitler. Now, um, as far as I'm concerned, this was a good thing. He seriously needed uh, assassination. Mm. Um, now, you could say this wasn't a kind act in terms of Hitler. Um, so 
from that point of view, um, any kind of action can be appropriate. Um, so I guess with people who are harming others, to the extent that they harm others, one needs to be able to act. Um, obviously, uh, in my life so far, I have never been called upon to become part of a plot to assassinate anyone. <laughs> and I doubt if that's ever likely yeah. to happen, but it's useful to have this example in my own family of someone who had to have the courage to do that mm. and ended up dead and the whole company uh, you know for that conspiracy um, but in terms of i think 99 times out of 100 it's it's better to be gentle um, unless you're totally sure of something you, I, I think you really need to be totally sure before you assassinate somebody that this really is the answer. Uh, and I think this is why there is uh, quite a famous Buddhist story about the sea captain who approaches Shakyamuni Buddha to say, I've done this terrible thing, I've murdered this man. And um, Shakyamuni asks him, well, why did you do this? And he said, well, it was to save 500 merchants who were on a ship and they would have all drowned if this... What were. So there's this one example in which some... Uh, in which you know, murder is feasible from a Buddhist point of view. Mm. But this is extremely rare, and I think the example is only given... You know, you know, this is the um, whatever the thing that proves the rule. Was it's, it's an expression I can't remember, mm -hmm. but um, the rule is generally act with kindness and gentleness. Um, now, if people are harming others, there may be things they might not want to hear, and um, I can't say that. Kondratech and I are always kind when it comes to situations um, where you have to tell a person that their behavior is not acceptable. In terms of um, kindness or unkindness, um, there is no desire to hurt that person, even though you know, well, this is going to be, this is going to hurt you to hear this, but I have more responsibility uh, than to avoid that. Uh, occasionally there are circumstances like that where a person has to go away maybe just not liking me ever again because I have to say this is unacceptable. You cannot act like this. You know, you have upset a great number of people through your behavior. Um, so to say, oh, everything's all right, and you're a very sweet person, really, uh, is that would be abdicating responsibility. Mm. So it's not always possible that, you know, everyone goes away feeling happy about what mm. I've said. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes 
it's necessary to do that. I, I like to avoid it. I don't like to tell people off. Mm. I don't mm. like to say anything that anyone doesn't want to hear, but um, mm. sometimes I have to. But then it's not through some desire to punish them. I think punishment is entirely different. Is it effective? Is punishment effective as a way to train people or train oneself? Um, it's only effective with children. Mm. Wow, interesting. I think that um, if you fail to punish children uh, when they have behaved badly, uh, then you don't introduce them to the reality of the life they're going to join as an adult. Mm. Because if you break the speed limit and the police pull you over, you are punished. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the nature of life. Mm -hmm. And so if you show a child that there is never punishment, then they have no idea of how to handle adult life. Mm. Wow. You know, there have to be consequences. Mm. And you can't shield people from consequences because everybody needs to learn that there are consequences to their acts mm -hmm. and they have to act appropriately. Mm. Having said that, I mean, um, I believe I've only smacked Robert five times in his whole life mm. and not for, not since he was five years old. Mm. And I've always explained to him why the smack is going to be necessary I've explained that I don't like to do it, mm. and he's understood that it was necessary. Mm. And then we've made up afterwards, and it's all been all right and fine. Yeah. But mm. Well, that brings up the idea of karma in my mind, just the notion of punishment. And uh, people often think of karma in those terms as kind of a cosmic system of punishment and rewards. And in The Rays of the Sun, you talk about uh, karma and, and the Dzogchen view of karma. And could you explain that a little bit so I could ask some questions about karma? What If it's not a system of punishment and rewards, what is, what is karma? Uh, karma is the natural consequence of me acting like me. You acting like you, or, or rather than the action, it's the motivation. Mm. Uh, so we are all our worst punishment. Mm. We are all our absolutely exact punishment. We don't have to be punished by anything. If I am greedy, that is my punishment. If you look at somebody uh, and you perceive them behaving badly and you say to yourself, would I like to be that person? And your answer is no, I wouldn't like to be that person. If you ask me if I would like to be Hitler, I'd say I would not like to be Hitler. I would not like to be anything like Hitler. 
um, then you can see that being Hitler is the punishment for being Hitler. Mm. That is the punishment. There is no other punishment than being as you are. It's like an instantaneous yeah, karma. <laughs> yeah, instant karma. <laughs> yeah. And there is no reward other than being as you are. That's the reward mm. and the punishment or the mixture of the two. What about karma in terms of repetitive patterns that yeah. don't go away, even if they are, for the moment, liberated through a practice, but then maybe, let's say, it's the pattern of anger, and, and then it comes back again the next day, or the next day. Is that, is that karma, pa that idea of pattern, mm -hmm. mental, yeah. emotional patterns? It's whatever works whatever you see as working mm. uh, anything that gets the result you feel you want works so you'll do it again mm. or if it doesn't work but that you like to think it works then you hide from the fact that it doesn't work and you blame other things for it not working that's all karma also mm. Okay, so that's the idea of not of regret and seeing how it doesn't work. That undermines karma because karma depends on the belief that it it's a good thing that we're doing. Mm. It's 